Hi, everyone. Droop Road here from the Broken Brain Podcast. First of all, thank you for listening to the podcast. I so, so, so appreciate it. If you want to say hi, I would love for you to say hi. You can hit me up on Instagram, D-H-R-U-P-U-R-O-H-I-T, Drew Perot, my first and last name, and send me a DM. In fact, even better, here you are all day listening to, not all day, I'm not flattering myself. Here you are in this brief moment of time listening to my voice. I want to hear your voice. Instagram launched a new feature called audio notes or audio DMs. Send me a DM with you saying hi in audio version so I can hear your voice and tell me about the things that you like about this podcast or the things that you don't like about this podcast or guests that you want us to cover in the future or topics you want us to cover in the future. It would mean the world to hear from you. We have a very special episode for you today. We have my dear friend, Emily Fletcher, who is the first person to come back on the podcast for a second time. Emily is amazing, and she's here to break down the topic of stress with us by talking about the power of meditation. In fact, she has a new book called Stress Less, Accomplish More, and how we can use meditation to truly help us accomplish more, feel better, live better, and live life with more intention through meditation. And this can be brought to a whole host of topics. In fact, today's interview was kicked off by Emily and I talking about sex, an important topic, a beautiful topic. And we talk about how meditation can impact our sex life and our performance and our enjoyment and how stress and cortisol levels truly impact our libido. So that's how we kick off the conversation. You want to hear that? Stick around. We go into a bunch of other subjects, including case studies of different people following Emily's technique and the results that they got in their life from doing so. I'm really, really excited about it. We review all the science and the latest updates since the last podcast was released on meditation and how meditation can actually help our cellular age. Even if you are 35, 45, 55, 65 on the outside, you have a cellular age. What age are your cells? Well, it turns out meditation can actually help you step back in the years of time when it comes to the cellular level. We break down the science on that and Emily walks us through how to incorporate it into our lives. We talk about the number one myth about meditation or the number one complaint about meditation. It's probably both a myth and a complaint, which is I don't have enough time. We dismantle that myth and idea about meditation and we break it down and we talk about how to bring meditation into our life in a practical, tangible way. You're going to love this interview. Emily is amazing. Now on to my formal introduction for Emily Fletcher. Welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Perot. Each week, we'll invite a new guest on the podcast who we think can help you improve your brain health, feel better, and most importantly, live your best life. Today's guest on the podcast is here for the second time. It's such an honor to have her, Emily Fletcher. Emily Fletcher is the founder of Ziva Meditation, the creator of the Ziva Technique, and regarded as a leading expert in meditation for high performance. Her debut book, Stress Less, Accomplish More, is being published by HarperCollins on February 15th. If you're listening to this podcast, you're going to want to go get that book. The Ziva Technique is a powerful trifecta of mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting designed to unlock your full potential. Its benefits include decreased stress, deeper sleep, improved immune function, increased productivity, and extraordinary performance, which we're going to dive deep into in this podcast. The New York Times, the Today Show, Vogue, and ABC have all featured Emily's work. She's been named as one of the top 100 women in wellness to watch, has taught more than 15,000 students around the world, and has spoken on meditation for performance at Google, Harvard, Viacom, Wanderlust, and many more. Ziva graduates include Oscar, Grammy, Tony, and Emmy Award winners, NBA players, Navy SEALs, Fortune 500 CEOs, busy parents, and social entrepreneurs, and Dr. Hyman himself. Many of you will recognize Emily Fletcher's name as being Dr. Hyman's own personal meditation teacher, the one that got him back into meditation. 
Emily Fletcher, welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast. Oh, Drew, can I take you with me everywhere and just at every room I walk into, be like, Drew's going to introduce me, you guys. <laughs> Thank you for that. I have to well, say I'm very honored and excited to be your very first repeat guest. Thank you. Yes. You know, we didn't get a chance to cover everything besides the fact that you have this amazing new book out and we want to talk to you about it. We didn't get a chance to, to cover everything that we wanted to in the last interview. And there's so much more about meditation that we want to go into. You know, in journalism, they have this phrase, which is uh, don't bury the lead. Of course, many people are uh, familiar with it. And when I was looking through your new book and going into it, uh, one of the things that I wanted to start off this conversation uh, with was Give us the lowdown on meditation and its ability to improve our performance in the bedroom. Everybody, everybody wants to talk about sex and meditation. Let's jump into it. Oh, yeah, let's go. So a lot of people are not talking about the connection between meditation and better performance in the bedroom because they think, first of all, they shouldn't be having any thoughts at all because we've got that old paradigm of, well, I can't meditate because I can't clear my mind, which is misinformation. But then we think, all right, well, I shouldn't be having thoughts and I certainly shouldn't be having sexy thoughts during my meditation you know, because we're used to getting trouble for that in church. And so people just aren't talking about it. And after a while, student after student after student started coming to me and saying, Emily, I remember you joking about better sex at your intro talk, but what's happening is crazy. This feels animalistic and raw. What's going on? And, and if you think about it, when the human body becomes stressed, when we launch into that fight or flight stress reaction, the last thing the body is concerned about is procreation. You know, you got to make sure that you are safe, that you are secure, that your own body is going to survive before you can start thinking about procreation or pleasure. And actually, a lot of your pleasure receptors and, and pain receptors shut down when you're stressed because who wants to feel the fangs of a tiger, you know, biting into you? So your senses shut down when you're stressed. So a lot of, you know, eating is not as pleasurable. Physical touch is not as pleasurable when we're in that low-grade chronic fight or flight stress, which most of us are. So the cool thing here is that once you start a daily meditation practice, your senses actually start to heighten. Your food starts to taste better. You become more sensitive to the physical touch. You, your cortisol levels and adrenaline levels decrease. And where this is really important uh, with the sex conversation is that when female cortisol levels are too high, they become physically incapable of orgasm. And when male adrenaline levels are too high, uh, it can lead to erectile dysfunction uh, because it's a constriction of the blood vessels. Uh, the adrenaline can cause a constriction in the blood vessels. So and this is not just like some hippy dippy woo woo, like, oh, if you meditate, you'll see each other's chakras and things. It's like, no, if, if you're too stressed, you can't orgasm. <laughs> and so this is, um, it's well, another- the quality's not going to be yeah, the quality is not going to be there. You, yeah. know, you might be able to have it, but it's not the richness and the the beauty that could come from a really great orgasm. Yes. And then, and then there's this other phenomenon. When you speak about richness and beauty, there's this other phenomenon that is called mirror neurons. And here's, here's the Broadway showgirl's definition of mirror neurons. So uh, uh, feel free to fact check me on this one. But the way I describe mirror neurons is if, if your brain has boomerangs in it and your partner's brain has boomerangs, well, they come out and they dance with each other and then they report back. And, and so mirror neurons are the reason why we can experience pleasure from watching someone else receive pleasure. And it's the same thing that makes us experience pain if we see someone in pain. So if I were to, you know, cut my hand with a knife on a live stream, you might cringe. Even though the knife was nowhere near you, it didn't hurt you. But if you watch someone else in pain, you can feel that. It's, it's actually why porn is a multi-billion dollar industry because people receive pleasure from watching other people receive pleasure. Now, where meditation plays into this in your sex life is that when you start meditating, you increase mirror neural activity. And so you become a bit more intuitive. You, you receive more pleasure from watching your partner receive pleasure. So you become more generous. And this creates a beautiful, generous upward spiral instead of this attitude of what have you done for me lately? Or let's just get this over with because I'm tired and stressed. And so the richness, the presence, the generosity, the connection, all of these things can be heightened when you have a daily practice. And then interestingly, I learned when, when researching about this for the book is that 40% of American cohabitating couples say that the number one reason that they don't have as much sex as they would like to is that they feel too tired. 
And the cool thing here is that the Ziva technique is giving you rest that's five times deeper than sleep. So even for a 15-minute meditation, it's the equivalent of about an hour nap, but without the sleep hangover on the other side. So if you do your second meditation mid-afternoon, early evening, it's like you've taken an hour nap. So you have more energy, more presence, more creativity for your partner instead of just coming home and passing out on the couch. So true and so important. And is that what you refer to in the book as your uh, uh, pre-sex routine using the Ziva technique is do a meditation early in the day? I mean, not just for sex, but just for all aspects of life, but would you, was that part of your pre-routine? Well, I would say, you know, we want to do like in the morning, first thing you want to recharge, like it's almost like brushing your teeth for your brain. And then that's how setting up your work performance. And then that mid afternoon, early evening, where you feel that hormonal dip, where you start to start making mistakes or you want to have that coffee. That's why I recommend doing your second meditation. And the cool thing is that it's powerful enough to give you a hit of energy. It's like you're filling up your tank of gas and that pulls you through the rest of your workday and you still have some gas left in the tank when you come home. And then there is an exercise, like you said, in the book where I recommend people practice something called come to your senses, which is actually a mindfulness technique. And you could do this if you know that you're going to have some sexy time, if you know you have a date, uh, you could do it in the shower, you could do it while you're getting dressed or undressed, you know, whatever you prefer. But And it's simply a technique where you you bring your awareness into your sense of hearing and you start to listen for all the sounds you can detect. And then you bring your awareness into your physical sensations. You start to notice all the tactile sensations happening in the now. So this could be in the shower with water running over your body. If you're putting on lingerie or taking your clothes off, just becoming acutely aware of the physical sensations of that, or even the physical sensation of the breath as it enters and exits your nostrils, that, that one thing alone can heighten your your intimacy, it can heighten your sensitivity during sex is just feeling your your hair against the back of your neck, your clothes against your skin, the temperature of the air, just really bringing yourself into your body, into the present moment. And then you can bring your awareness to your sense of sight. So seeing all of the things you can see, smelling what you're smelling and tasting what you're tasting. And you can do it with your eyes open or your eyes closed. It can take up to five minutes or you could do it in 30 seconds. It's just a beautiful way to come back into your body, into the now, because our pleasure is only ever experienced in the now. Our stress is the thing that hangs out in the past and the future. And most of us, because our left brains are so overdeveloped, we spend much of our lives reviewing the past and rehearsing the future. So this come to your senses mindfulness technique is just a great anchoring tool to have in your back pocket to be like right here, right now in my body, let me show up fully for my partner and for myself. You know, we have a mutual uh, friend who's given an incredible endorsement for your book, which I'll read out in a second. Uh, Dave Asprey, uh, CEO of the Bulletproof uh, Whole World, the Bulletproof Ecosystem, and the author of uh, The Bulletproof Diet. Uh, Dave came on our podcast um, a few weeks ago to talk about his new book, Game Changers, and talked about how winning in the bedroom is also like winning in the boardroom. And, you know, you said something really important earlier um, that we have all these different rules or, or things that we grew up with in society that make us feel like, oh, meditation is one thing. And then like enjoying sex and having a beautiful relationship and bringing more mindfulness into it is, is separate. And your book is all about meditation can improve every aspect of our life because when you're better at one thing, it makes you better at everything else. And I want to know like anything else that you would want to add to that of this idea of like winning in the bedroom is also winning in like the boardroom and winning with your kids and winning with like everything else. Like why is that part of our life kind of pushed off to the side and how can meditation bring it and, and um, connect it more with every other aspect of our life. Yeah, I think that we as a society have become over-sexualized and under-sexed. You know, there's so much sexualization of people in advertising and like I mentioned earlier with pornography and in movies. And so we're being stimulated visually oftentimes by people trying to make money off of our sex drives, but then we've become lonelier than ever. We're not actually having physical contact. We're not looking people in the eyes. We're not having as much sex as we used to. And I think because of, you know, a lot of different um, 
philosophies or, or sometimes uh, very strict religious backgrounds, we've become a bit embarrassed or shameful about sex. And and I think that it's, it's it actually is a very important part of a healthy human life. It's it's a it's actually a key element to neurogenesis, which is the brain's ability to generate new brain cells, because you have to have all of the pieces of the pie in place. You have to meditate and exercise and eat well and have healthy sexual relationships and healthy friendships if we really want the brain to be functioning optimally. And so I think it's it's a combination of, of letting go of any old stigma or shame. I think, you know, we as a society are healing from a lot of sexual trauma, just collective societal <laughs> sexual trauma. And so I think it, it's going to be a bit of a, of a potentially bumpy road and the pendulum might swing a little bit, but I'm really happy to see that we're having open conversations about power dynamics as they play out sexually so that we can come to a, a place of healing and so that every person feels empowered to cultivate and own their own sexual energy. The way I think about it is that sexual energy and creative energy are very, very similar. And so when you Mm. wake up and tap into your own sexual energy, it can actually heighten your creativity at work, in your life. And and so it's it's a matter of of just letting everything flow and be balanced as nature designed. And when we start to get stuck or stagnant and these things aren't able to express themselves in healthy ways, that that, that stagnant and stuck feeling can show up in other areas of our life as well. And then we've all had that experience where we had an amazing night the night before with a partner on a date or even with yourself. And then the next day you feel more confident, you feel happier, you have a pep in your step, you have a swagger in your step when you walk in to pitch your idea in the boardroom. And so it's it's just about optimizing and having as much fun and enjoying our lives as much as we can. Because at the end of the day, that's why we're here. We're on this planet to enjoy ourselves and to spread joy to other people. And and this, if done respectfully and consensually, is a is a beautiful way to do that. So well said. Going back to Dave's quote, which I promised that I want to read, I want to read the second part of it. Stress less, accomplish more can help you know how to get out of your own way to uncover the power that has always been inside of you. When I thought, when you first shared the title of your book with me, I thought it was so brilliant because it really gets to this root phenomenon of we often know what to do, but it's us who gets in the way of ourselves. We're not either doing it or we are stretching ourselves too thin or some sort of other factor that's there. Tell us about the book title and what the larger message is behind it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the simple point of the title is who doesn't want to stress less and accomplish more? You know, the, rea- the sad reality is that stress is making us stupid and sick and slow, and it's keeping us from accomplishing what we were put on this planet to do. And we, and a lot of people get attached to their stress. They think, well, I need my stress. This is the thing that gives me my competitive edge because I tend to work with a lot of high achievers and high performers and it's easy to be addicted to your stress it's, it, and it's easy to become so identified with it that you're scared of who you will be on the other side once it goes away. But what I have seen happen thousands of times over is that if you are willing to bravely step into the unknown, if you are willing to shed this anxiety and stress that that has sometimes been defining us or shaping our personality for decades, if we're willing to shed that, then on the other side is a level of ease and elegance and serendipity and a feeling supported that makes life so much easier and more elegant. And it, it really does allow you to accomplish more in less time. And, and so I think once people start to realize both intellectually and more importantly, viscerally, what stress is costing us, mentally and physically, then it's like, oh, why would I not want to meditate? And so my my mission in, in writing this book is to really truly for once and for all reframe meditation as the performance and productivity tool that it can be instead of people thinking about it like this luxury item for your brain, like a pedicure for your brain of like, oh, when I have a little extra time, I'll get back into that meditation thing. It's like, no, this is the single most important piece of mental hygiene that we need to be practicing every single day because this is our brains we're talking about. I mean, look, we're on the Broken Brain podcast, right? Because there's a lot of people's brains that have been broken for a while and it and it is changeable. It is fixable. It is mutable. Um, you know, the brain is this 
beautiful, complex organism that, that does have the ability to heal and change, but we have to set it up for success. And so when people say to me, I don't have time to meditate, I say, okay, do you have time to be stupid, sick, and slow? Do you have time to not take care of the machine that is not only responsible for printing every single cell in your body, but also every single decision you make in your life? And so when we're making decisions from a place of stress, that is costing us. It's costing us time. It's costing us joy. It's costing us creativity. And so my goal in writing this book is just really look at the neuroscience behind all of the selfish reasons that we come to meditation, why it helps us have better sex, why it's going to help you make more money, why it helps you accomplish more in less time so that no one ever can say ever again, I don't have time to meditate. <laughs> it would be like, I have I'm, I'm a gas. I'm, I have a car that's empty. The tank is empty of gas, but I do not have time to go to the gas station. So we just got to re, re, reframe the conversation. And for you, you know, this firsthand, of course, listeners that heard our first podcast, and we have so many new listeners uh, listening now. I just want to touch back on your story. You figured this out firsthand. You didn't know about meditation, but your gas tank was running close to empty, if not empty. Can you just share uh, your story briefly for those that missed it in the first podcast? Sure. So I was on Broadway for 10 years and it was the thing I wanted to do was, uh, since I was a little girl. And I really thought once I got on Broadway, my whole life would be sunshine and roses. But three weeks after my Broadway debut was the saddest I had ever been because I was more interested in the happiness of pursuit than I was the pursuit of happiness. And I just thought, oh, well, my happiness must come at the next Broadway show or the next boyfriend or the next zero in my bank account. And I did that for a decade. And then finally, my last show, I was understudying three of the leading roles in a chorus line, which is a very, quote, stressful job, led to a lot of anxiety, a lot of insomnia, couldn't sleep through the night for 18 months. And then I found meditation and it cured my insomnia on the first day. I slept through the night for the first time in 18 months. And I have every night since, and that was 11 years ago. I then stopped getting sick. I did not get sick for eight and a half years. I stopped going gray. I stopped getting injured. But most importantly, I started enjoying my job again, and it improved my performance so dramatically that I felt inspired to share it with others. So I left Broadway. I went to India, and I started what became a three-year training process to teach this. And since then, I opened up Ziva. And like you said, I've taught 15,000 people to meditate. And it's it's such a gift to get to wake up to emails from my students saying, you know, hey, Emily, my performance is better. I started this company. I wrote this book. I broke up with that guy. I My IBS is gone. I lost this weight. I stopped drinking. You know, and so it's so selfishly, that's why I love doing what I do is that I love hearing these stories day in and day out. Yeah. And in fact, you featured a lot of these stories uh, in the book itself. I was wondering if you could maybe take one that you feel uh, present to or that might be relevant for our audience here, something that maybe relates back to, to brain health and, and share that, um, that uh, example of taking somebody through this process and what the outcome was for them. Mm, sure. So yeah, we do case studies at the end of, of many of the chapters. And I think since we started talking about sex, I'll share some of those stories. Um, but there was sure. a woman who had never experienced, well, there was one woman who had her very first orgasm of her whole life the week after she started meditating. <laughs> And, you know, it could have been a coincidence, but it wasn't a new partner. And she wrote me and was like, I just had my first orgasm. I was like, you know, it's a little personal, but which, which, <laughs> congratulations. Which, which is like, we're, I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm totally smiling for her and like giggling a little bit on the inside, but that's a serious issue that a lot of women experience and nobody talks about it. And there's this conversation, there's just, just internal thing of is something wrong with me or is it this partner? Or is it this or that? But I mean, these things all go back to core functions inside of the body that of course affect our mental health. So, I mean, there's so many people that are out there that I know that can relate to that. Yes. And, and so many people, like you said, are, are dealing with this in secret. It's like this secret shameful thing that they don't want to talk about and they don't know where to get help for it. And there was another woman who uh, had never had an orgasm internally. So like a, an exclusively vaginal orgasm. And so she wrote me and, and shared that as well. And again, I was like, I'm not a sex therapist. So these were, you know, sort of private things, but I was happy for their successes. Uh, and then there was um, one woman who who just felt like the meditation had helped her to heal from a background of sexual trauma. And 
and I think that this is another thing that you know people so many people have experienced but haven't necessarily known where to get help for it and the beautiful thing about this style of meditation is that it's not therapy it's not cognitive behavioral therapy it's actually healing things on a pre-verbal level it's healing things on a cellular level so even if you've done a lot of therapy on something starting a meditation practice it goes in and, and it de-excites the nervous system and it and allows the body to hear, heal cellularly. And so sometimes old stuff that you didn't even know was there can start to come up and out. And there was another story. Because as, as I just want to add one thing to that, because as we talked about in the first Broken Brain uh, docuseries, and yesterday I just did an interview with uh, Dr. Hyla uh, Cass, who is a psychiatrist based out of here in Santa Monica. And one of the things that she talks about is that the mind is not just in the brain. And of course, Dr. Dan Siegel, uh, who runs the Mindsight Institute, he talks about this too in his in his work and his studies. He does studies on this. And so when people experience trauma, it gets stored in the body. It's in the mind, but the mind is in the body. Mm. So if we're going to heal the what we think of as trauma traditionally existing in the brain, we have to also heal it in our body. And talk therapy alone isn't effective on its own to do that. You have to do something like meditation and and other techniques. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is a, a multifaceted puzzle. And so um, thank you for highlighting that, that it's, yeah, it's healing all. Uh, absolutely. And I know I cut you off. Sorry, you were going somewhere uh, with another case study. Share another case study that I thought was really beautiful. It was a woman named Kathy and she came to me uh, having pretty, I think it was stage three, potentially stage four breast cancer. I don't remember if it was three or four, but she had just had a double mastectomy and she was about to start her treatment, her cancer treatment and chemo. And she learned to meditate in between the mastectomy and her treatment. So basically she was coming because she wanted to use the meditation as another tool for her healing. And she said that the meditation allowed her to experience her cancer instead of fight her cancer. And I thought that that was a really interesting change because a lot of us, we go into, you know, fighting our diseases, battling our diseases, conquering our diseases. And when we do that, we're pushing against it. And if you look at that philosophically, you know, the harder you push against something, the harder it pushes back. What we resist persists. And, and what Kathy, shared is that the meditation allowed her to experience her cancer. And then she would go in for her chemo and and then the nurses would say, hey, it'll probably take her five or six hours to recover. We need to check her vitals and then she can leave. So she would sit up in bed and she would meditate sometimes, you know, 45 minutes, an hour. And then the nurse would come back and check her vitals. And within an hour, her vitals would be back. And the they'd never seen that sort of recovery. And And her partner, after a while, was set, went to the doctor and said, hey, is the, is the chemo working? Because she doesn't seem that tired. She doesn't seem that sick. She just seems like herself. And the doctor looked at Kathy's partner and said, Kathy's bald. The chemo's working. Whatever Kathy's doing is helping her through this treatment and, and helping her to cope oh. with the chemo. And so, you know, while I, and, and actually, and one final thing about Kathy is that she said that she's actually grateful for her cancer because it, it is the thing that allowed her to find meditation and the meditation. And now she's made a total recovery, by the way, she's cancer free. She has been for years and she went back to work and she brought me to her office and I taught a hundred people at her office to meditate because her story and her transformation was so powerful. So that was a really heartwarming one. That's incredible. Thank you for that. And tell tell us about, it's always good to do a refresher because we need to hit this from different standpoints, case studies, uh, you know, your own story that people can relate to other aspects. Um, give us a refresher on the fact that, you know, you're really talking about meditation and its ability to actually genuinely make a difference in our life when it comes to performance. And this isn't something that you just made up. And this isn't something that you just came up with yourself. Like science has also proven it. Give us a recap on what we know about the science of meditation and what it's actually doing to the brain. Mm. Yeah. So there's some new science coming up from Harvard Medical School suggesting that stress is responsible for 90% of all doctor's visits. Nine zero. And this was a number that is astounding to me, even as a meditation teacher who studies stress day in and day out. And, and so it's 
this, I hope, is a, is a shocking enough number to kind of wake people up out of this idea of, well, I don't have time to meditate. It's like, okay, how much is that sick day costing you? How much time is you getting sick costing you? What is that low-grade pain, that low-grade trauma, that low-grade stress that's just been going on in the background of your brain costing you over time? And and the cool thing is that it, the meditation is not just about getting us out of stress. Most people have to start there, but then after a while, after a few years of practicing, we start to increase neuroplasticity, which is the brain's ability to change itself. We, If, if it's a part of all the other things we've been mentioning, it can increase neurogenesis which is the brain's ability to generate new brain cells. And then one of the cool things that I like specifically about the Ziva technique is that the meditation portion of the Ziva technique, which P.S., is a trifecta of mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting. But the meditation piece is not about focusing. It's not about concentrating. It's not about clearing the mind. It's actually about inducing very deep healing rest. And when we do that practice, it, it feels very much like you're surrendering. It feels very much like a nap sitting up, but without the sleep hangover on the other side. And when you do this, when you surrender, when you let go, the whole brain starts to light up, which is different than in mindfulness where in mindfulness, a small part of the brain lights up, but very, very bright because mindfulness is more about focusing. Whereas this style of meditation is more about letting go or surrendering. So point of the story is that after a few years of practicing that, you can actually strengthen the corpus callosum, which is that thin white strip between the right and left hemispheres of the brain. And that I think, you know, is a cool party trick that you sitting quietly in a chair could actually strengthen that corpus callosum. But a lot of people think, well, why, why would I want that to happen? And it quite literally is the bridge between the critical mind and the creative mind. And it's the thing that allows you to come up with those witty comebacks with your partner, even in the middle of a high demand, heated conversation, or better yet, the ability to come up with a creative problem solving idea at work, even when your boss is yelling at you and you're under a deadline. And so it's just another marker of, of brain health. So basically meditation is going to help you win in fights. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you your partner down with ease and hilarity. <laughs> I love it. All beautiful things. Um, we, I, wa I want to talk about this, uh, this component of performance. And one of the components that's there with uh, performance is people, we get used to the fact of how we perform, right? We don't often know that things can be uh, different than it is. Do you have a case study in the book? You know, we talked about some case studies uh, regarding uh, uh, sexual traumas and and intimacy and that sort of stuff. Let's talk about performance. Any performance based case studies that you feature in the book that uh, relate to like a work or accomplishing goals or even manifesting things into our lives. Mm -hmm. So actually the very first story from chapter one of the book is a woman named Mari Carmen. And she and I met at a business conference, actually our friend JJ Virgin's business conference. And she had been meditating, like sort of dabbling in mindfulness, doing an app here or there. And we met and she said, there was just something about you that just, it felt like there was something extra, that there was something more I could get out of meditation. So she came and she took my class and she was a very successful entrepreneur and had left the corporate world, started her own company. And then, but what, what a lot of people didn't know is that she was secretly $70,000 in debt. She had burned through her savings when she left the corporate world and now was $70,000 in debt and felt a lot of shame about it because, you know, she'd made a name for herself and people knew about her work. And so in the first year of meditating, she went from $70,000 in debt to 1.2 million grossed. And she attributes that to meditation. She attributes that to the increase in intuition and her increase in productivity. She said that she was able to get about three more hours of productivity out of a day on the days where she would meditate. And she said that just that simple fact of being able to listen to her own guidance, to her own inspiration is the thing that got her out of debt and grossing more than she had ever grossed before. 
And I thought it's interesting that that three hours thing comes up because this is what Mark Hyman says as well. He says, when on the days that I meditate, it gives me another three hours of productivity in the day. So I have no science on why it's three hours, but I do hear that number a lot. Um, so yeah, I thought that was an interesting story because a lot of people don't think that money and meditation, just like sex and meditation, shouldn't be talked about together. It's like, well, if I'm meditating, I shouldn't care about money and I should want to give all my money away. And I think that the, that's sort of left over from monastic types of meditation. And whereas a lot of people, one of the reasons why people think meditation is hard is that they're trying to do styles that were originally designed for monks. Whereas Ziva is designed for people with busy minds and busy lives. It is designed to be integrated into your life and to make you better at life. So if you have a job and you do want to create more and accomplish more in less time, then this is simply a tool that can help you do that. Now, the other, the flip side of that coin is that, you know, the beautiful thing about meditation is that it, it very clearly and quickly proves to you that money is not going to make you happy. It's never about the money, but the money is simply energy. It's a tool to allow you to do the things in the world that you want to do. So in addition to being able to manifest things with ease, you also realize that these things are not the key to your happiness. And sort of paradoxically, when you're when you're accessing your own fulfillment internally, when you are flooding your own brain and body with dopamine and serotonin, which are bliss chemicals, it gives you a sense of detachment about your goals, which allows them to be delivered to you with more ease. It's like it takes the death grip off of your desires so you can open up your hand so nature can actually give you the things that you've been asking for. Yeah. It's like one of the things that the, that meditation is, is we're just beginning to understand this all and put all the dots together, but it basically eases the, the vagal nerve, the vagus nerve. And, and with you talking about serotonin and dopamine, which are mostly creating the gut, it's only when we're fully in a space of ease that we can actually uptake those into our brain and then receive them and have the impact and the effects they have on our life. You know, you mentioned something really beautiful earlier. You said, this is meant for people who live busy lives. I can't think of anybody doing more important or often busy, uh, sometimes in challenging ways, sometimes in beautiful ways than moms and especially young moms. Last when you, last time when you were on the podcast, I believe you were uh, just, you were pregnant at the time. And since that time you've had a beautiful baby and tell us about uh how meditation was supporting you through that uh journey and what it's like to be um uh a mom first time and have a young child and how you incorporate meditation uh into it yes yeah, so you know, it's, there's that quote of your spirituality is a hypothesis until you bury your parents and raise your children. And I thought, Jamie Wheel just shared that with me, actually. And I thought that was interesting that your the spirituality is sort of a theory until you go through, basically until, you know, life smacks you with some real challenges. <laughs> and I've always, right. you know, wondered how, you know, will I be able to practice what I preach as a parent, as a mom? And and the answer is yes. I've actually doubled down. I'm so, so disciplined about my meditation right now because I have a lot going on. I'm I'm running a company, Ziva's growing faster than it's ever grown before. We're full blown in this book launch, preparing for, you know, stress less, accomplish more to be released into the world. And I have a seven month old son. So life is full out and I'm I'm nursing him, which means that you feed him every three to four hours. So that's a whole nother level of logistics on top of, you know, the logistics of everything else. And, and I can honestly say that if I wasn't meditating, there is no way I would be able to do what I'm doing right now. And if ever, if I was doing it, I'd be out of my mind. I would be stressed. I would be burning my adrenals. I'd probably have insomnia and it would not be sustainable. I'd be crashing at the end of a day or crashing at the end of this launch. And while things are full out, it feels fun for me right now. And I feel really grateful for all these opportunities. And I feel so grateful for the sharing this mission with the world. Um, but it's, it's, it's not a joke, you know, parenthood is not a joke. Being a working mom is not a joke. Being a full-time mom is not a joke. Um, but I will say that meditation made my pregnancy a dream. I was so grateful. I had a dream pregnancy and I was all ready to, I had created a course called the blissful birth because I've been studying birth and pregnancy and labor for a really long time. And I just wanted to get through my own. I'd be like, well, once I've done it myself and I have some street cred, then I'll, 
I'll release this course into the world. And I ended up having a uh, not so blissful birth. I had a, I had a four day back labor into a pretty brutal postpartum. I I had I wasn't making enough milk, and my son had a tongue tie, which made breastfeeding excruciatingly painful. And then he got jaundice, which you know the only way to cure that is through more feeding and. And so it's, that felt very intense, you know, to not be able to feed my son in the way that I wanted to. And then my stitches came out and I got mastitis and, and then there's the sleep deprivation. And so, I mean, I have to say postpartum was brutal and I want to give an award. I want to give a medal of honor to every mom out there in the world because, wow, it is not a joke. And I am a very strong, very smart person with a lot of tools in my pocket. And it brought me to my knees and and I just have so much more compassion for anyone in pain, anyone suffering. And certainly, you know, mom's going through that very uh, tenuous time in life because your hormones are changing, you're sleep deprived, you feel depleted, you're in physical pain. And and your health is directly correspondent to your baby's health. Like if you're not healthy, then you're not able to produce milk. And, and the pain of the nursing was allowing, was creating so much cortisol in my body that that was affecting my milk production. And so slowly, but surely bit by bit, we sort of unwound that web and we solved one thing at a time. And fascinatingly, my milk came in at four months, but at that point we had supplemented with formula for a while, which was not my preference, but thankfully we were able to find some really clean, uh, like goat milk, organic formula that we imported from Europe and um, which I know that a lot of people don't have access to, which I was so grateful that I did. And, uh, but anyway, slowly but surely we've unwound that. And now I feel like I, I feel strong again. I feel mentally and physically strong again. I don't feel depleted anymore. And it's nursing is a joy. We had his tongue tie fixed and um, yeah. And now it's all flowing really beautifully. And I feel sane again, whereas I felt kind of crazy. But interestingly, I, in the month after I had the baby, I actually took a bit of a break from meditating. And, and I, I don't know if that was, it actually felt like I was in a bit of a battle zone and I needed my body to be stressed. It's like, I needed that adrenaline and cortisol to keep me awake for 24 hour cycles. And it it was, and it was a good reminder of, you know, we don't meditate to get good at meditation. We meditate to get good at life. So it's not about having a perfect mm. meditation career. It's like, okay, I had done 11 years of meditation and to like putting deposits in the bank account so that I could withdraw those deposits in this extraordinarily high demand time. And then about a month in, I started meditating again. And, and that, you know, no surprise there really helped my healing and helped everything kind of fall back into place. So, uh, and then now it is the thing that's allowing me to fire on all cylinders. Yeah. And first of all, I so appreciate that vulnerability. You know, part of what we do on this podcast is we just, talk about all the things. We had uh, Dr. Maggie Nay, uh, naturopathic doctor based here in Santa Monica, come on the podcast and talk about just how challenging the postpartum experience can be for uh, anyone going through all that, even people who have been healthy and all the different components, especially nowadays doing it alone, not necessarily alone, but not necessarily in a big village. Um, And so I appreciate you just opening up and sharing about that. And it just kind of picks up off of this theme that life is hard, especially for, for moms. And there's be moments where we might lose a loved one or something happens and we can't control life. Life is hard or it has moments of being hard. It's also beautiful too, but there is this resilience that we can develop inside through looking within and using meditation and mindfulness to almost add a little bit of distance between our nervous system and the challenges of life. Do you see it that way? I do. I think that meditation is a beautiful tool to help you build exactly like you said, resilience, because just because you're meditating doesn't mean you're not going to have challenges. Just because you're meditating doesn't mean you're never going to lose a loved one or have physical pain. And so as, as intense as it was, 
I do feel like the meditation allowed me to recover faster. It prevented me from going into a deep, dark hole of depression and or just disappointment. And because it was, it was so the opposite of what my fantasy was because I've studied labor and pregnancy and birth for so long. I definitely had a a fantasy about what I wanted. You know, I wanted an unmedicated water birth at home. And then I wanted to exclusively breastfeed and co-sleep and just really live out my hippy dippy witchy ways. And that was just not at all what happened. And so it it was a beautiful lesson right off the bat in surrendering. It's, It's just accept and surrender, accept and surrender. And that can help you, I think, in the micro and the macro. Because in the moments, in the micro moments of pain, of the acute pain, it was just sitting in it and actually feeling the pain instead of trying to avoid it. And that's very much a mindfulness practice of putting your attention on the pain, which closes the feedback loop between the brain and body, which paradoxically allows the, the pain and your perception of the pain to decrease. And and there's an interesting study that's come out, which I should have mentioned earlier, um, but where they they saw that mindfulness meditation can decrease pain receptivity by 42%, which is double morphine. Incredible. And so I was using all of the tools I had to, to move through the, the breastfeeding, but Absolutely. I think it's the reason why I was able to bounce back what I consider to be relatively quickly and and then go into what's probably the most high demand time of my life. Uh, and and now I feel like it's there is a level of ease and elegance uh, that I would not have perhaps had without meditation. And there's actual tangible effects on side of the body. Uh, we talked about it briefly last time, but I'd love for you to revisit it and present it in this new context, especially with your with within the context of your book. Um, talk about telomeres and meditation and its ability to play an impact on um, on telomeres, what they are and, and how meditation can impact them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a whole chapter in the book called The Legit Fountain of Youth. And I want to preface this by saying that I would love to see our society as a whole stop chasing youth and instead chase health, uh, because what I think we're actually chasing is the radiant glow of health, not the radiant glow of youth. I think we're chasing the strength and resilience of health, not necessarily of youth. And as people like you and Dave Asprey and Mark Hyman are, you know, optimizing health and the way that we eat and the way that we listen to our bodies is like we're changing the paradigm that we have to get sick and get old and die. Yes, we're all going to age. Yes, we may all die. But what if we don't have to get sick and die? You know, what if it doesn't have to be this slow, decrepit, uh, decaying process to the grave? What if we're up-leveling and strengthening and increasing our mental capacity until the body is no longer relevant? So I just think it's an interesting and more fun model to approach aging. But specifically telomeres. So there's some study coming out. There's studies coming from Wake Forest University and Tufts University. And the Wake Forest University is a little bit older, and it was suggesting that meditation can reverse your body age by eight years. And then the more recent study out of Tufts was saying that it can reverse your body age by up to 15 years, which seems dramatic to me, but we've all seen that woman at the yoga studio who's 60, 70 years old, who's been meditating and doing yoga for decades, and she looks so radiant and strong and beautiful. And then we've all seen, you know, our grandparent or a loved one who sits in a recliner and watches TV and eats junk food and looks 100 by the time they're 60. So we're starting to notice that every meditation, every bite of food, every exercise is changing our epigenetics. It's it's uh, flipping on the, the switches of our genetic code, which is what epigenetics are. And then it's also what we know now is that meditation can actually strengthen and lengthen your telomeres, which the way I describe them... Um, are as the little plastic casing at the end of your shoelace. So, you know, at the end of the shoelace, you have that little piece of plastic that keeps the shoelace from unraveling. Well, that, that is basically what the telomere does for the strand of DNA. 
And when your telomeres shorten, which is caused by aging and stress, then they can start to unravel. And as the telomeres shorten and unravel, that can lead to the DNA itself unraveling, which impacts your body age and ultimately your death date. So by strengthening and you and lengthening your telomeres by reducing your stress, by meditation, by eating well, by exercising, then you are actually protecting your very DNA. It's incredible. And if, if there was a drug out there that could do that, it'd be probably the first trillion dollar drug because every single person would be on it on the planet. And yet it's available to us and it's free and it's accessible and it's just not a drug. It's meditation. But we're so busy. <laughs> Uh, but I don't have time. I don't have time. You know, I want to. I want to give a personal anecdote. Um, when you were talking earlier about meditation and and uh, and mothers, uh, there's a there's a friend of mine. It's a recent mother, and she was talking about how she started meditating for the first time. And one important thing that came up for her is there's been so many times. You know, she identifies with being a very um, uh, powerful woman, always taking care of stuff, not always like relying on other people, always the person to get things done, type A personality. And being a mom for the first time, she noticed in meditation how many times she stops herself from asking help from other people when she legitimately needs it because she's attached to this old identity, which might've come from a bunch of different places, some good, maybe some where she felt that she had to be that person and she couldn't be that person. And catching herself and saying, oh my gosh, this is so silly. I thought I couldn't ask for help and now I can. And and the thing that I can relate to on that is that um, being an entrepreneur who who dropped out of college to start his first businesses, I am so used to just doing things on my own and just getting it done. And obviously what got us to one level in life isn't the thing that's going to get us to the next level in life. And as your team grows and you build more things and you're accomplishing more, if you don't rely on other people, you are going to get in your own way. You're going to get in your own way. You're going to prevent yourself. And so I often think about the beauty of meditation is catching these unconscious patterns that are just playing themselves out because maybe it's the voice of your your boss or your or your parent or somebody who didn't believe in you that you internalized you know at a young age and now you feel like you only can be this way but now based on these new life circumstances you're in you have to be another way or you want to be another way. It's actually good for you to be another way, but we're usually the ones that hold ourselves back and attach ourselves to that old identity and say, I can't ask for help. That'd be weak. Or I can't do this. That'd be this. Have there been, uh, whether it was early uh, for you or something more recently, in I know meditation has had so many different changes and improvements in your own life, but can you think of any sense of identity that maybe served you once in the past, but that isn't something that's needed to move forward in a new step stage of life that you're in. And that reflection and meditation kind of helped you let go of that person you were and allowed you to embrace this person that you needed to be. Mm, thank you so much for sharing that and asking such a beautiful and deep question. And the answer is a thousand percent. Yes. I, I will often joke that I am a recovering control freak. And I think that I, because of my childhood, I, I have a father who was an alcoholic. And I think this is a very common traits of adult children of alcoholics is that we, we tend to be perfectionists and we tend to like our illusion of control because when you have any sort of an addict or an alcoholic parent, life is very erratic and you don't know really which parent you're going to come home to. So anything that you can control, you do. And oftentimes it will lead to eating disorders because people feel like, well, I can control what I'm putting in my mouth and everything else around me is is uncontrollable. Um, so for me, I just, I just liked my illusion of control. I was very much a perfectionist, a control freak. And that it can be beneficial in some ways. You know, it helped me to survive in some ways, but like you said, what got you here is not going to get you where you're going to go. And when you are controlling or or think you're controlling everything in your life, it's very hard to ask for help. It's very hard to delegate. It's very hard to grow a team. It's very hard to be open to the magic and the serendipity and synchronicity that nature has waiting for us all the time. And, and I, and what I actually say that now my class is not a meditation class. It's a, it's, 
10 hours of surrender school. <laughs> I basically yeah, just teach like people how to surrender. And the beautiful part about meditation is that when you're utilizing the mantra, which is one of the tools we use in the meditation portion, it's all about letting go. It's all about surrendering. It's all about actually forgetting the mantra. It's not about focusing on it. And as you become adept at surrendering in the chair, and as your body and brain start to treat you and reward you for that surrender by flooding you with dopamine and serotonin, then then it becomes easier to surrender in the rest of your life. And you start letting go of your illusion of control bit by bit in your waking state. And then you're just so much more available for help, for uh, good ideas, for creativity and nature itself to use you as a vessel instead of you trying to control everything all the time. My my analogy that I have to describe what we humans, what we, especially we control freaks are like, are like the little kids at the grocery store. Um, you know when the mom is pushing the shopping cart and there's a little plastic toy car on the front of the shopping cart and the little kid is driving the steering wheel and he thinks he's driving the cart. And meanwhile, the mom is looking at the little boy just being like, oh, look how adorable that little boy is. <laughs> he's driving the car. And I feel like this is what nature does to us humans. We're like, oh, look how adorable. Those humans think they're driving their lives. <laughs> and when you start meditating, you're actually taking your right brain to the gym. And the right brain is the piece of us that's connected to everyone and everything. It's the piece of us that identifies beyond just the individuality of the body. And when we start to take that thing to the gym in the meditation, we start to feel more connected to collective consciousness itself, creativity itself in our waking state. And so we're more available to receive help from other people, to listen to our own intuition, and to allow ourselves to be guided in a different way than if we're just muscling everything from our left brain intellect. Mm, that's so beautifully said. You know, a big part of what we talk about here. And in our first docuseries, which you were part of, is the importance of doing things with other people and that the way to instill habits in our life is to also surround ourselves with other people that are part of that. What kind of tips and suggestions do you have, whether from your own life or lessons from your students of how we can integrate meditation better by bringing friends into it in some capacity? Like, do you uh, tell us about the ways that you get other people in your world involved in it so that it's uh, just so much easier to do it, especially when it comes to bringing in a new habit like meditation into our lives? Yes. Great question. And, you know, like, Mark Hyman has said, you know, obesity is a communicable disease. Stress is a communicable disease. These habits are communicable. And the beautiful thing about meditation is that it is also a communicable disease. <laughs> if, if all of your friends start meditating, it's going to be a lot easier for you to start as well. And this is one of the reasons why I love teaching at companies and at corporations, because it's built in accountability. You know, usually what will happen is I'll teach the CEO to meditate and then they'll bring me on to teach the team. And it's great because then there's a built-in place in the office for people to meditate. Usually they'll say, all right, between 3.30 and 4, you don't have to, but if you want to, you can go use this conference room and a lot of people will meditate together. So instead of having to lie to their boss or hide it from their coworkers, it'll be like, you guys, I got to go do my weird voodoo or like sneak out into your car and everyone thinks that you, you know, maybe have like a heroin problem because you're slumped over in your car. <laughs> instead, people actually understand what you're doing and there's built-in accountability. So I find that the adoption rate is much higher when I teach in groups. But something that we've done to solve for that, because not everyone has the luxury of learning at their company, is we have a beautiful online community. So when people move through the Ziva online training or the Ziva live training, and even when they read the book, uh, they'll be able to join an online community because oftentimes you might be the only person in your office or the only person in your family or the only person in your hometown who is starting this and it can be a little lonely. And so I recommend that people reach out in our online groups and, and ask for an accountability partner and so that you have someone that you can just check in with. And sometimes they'll just send each other an emoji and a check mark of after the morning and after the evening. And then also just having that online community where people can come and ask questions, to share their successes, to get support by me, by the other Ziva teachers, by longtime meditators. And then we also do live streams and calls in those groups. And that's just a way to, to keep the continuing education going, to keep the left brain intellect engaged, because 
the right brain is going to be up-leveling simply by getting to the chair. Like your consciousness will be expanding if you're getting to the meditation chair every day, twice a day. But sometimes it's nice to just feel supported and like you have community. And, and what I recommend that people do is that they schedule it, like actually schedule their meditations into their calendar like they would a, a meeting with their lawyer or a lunch with their best friend. And, and really truly getting an accountability buddy because we're so much – more likely to break a promise to ourselves than we are to break a promise to someone else. And so if you make a promise to someone else, like, hey, I'm going to show up for this, I'm going to show up for you, and you know that someone's checking in on you, it's just easier to make that commitment until meditation becomes like dark chocolate, where it's just so delicious and so enjoyable that you can't wait to do it. You know, part of what we, uh, and obviously Dr. Hyman with his work uh, in food and nutrition is like, okay, great. It's good to eat healthy. And that's a great starting point. But in this day and age, especially with all the confusion that's out there, eating healthy could potentially mean really nothing. It's it's different for everybody. That might be I'm avoiding smoking or I'm eating two less, you know, Snickers bars in a day than I normally had. It's, it's just a broad spectrum. And in, in a way, in a beautiful way, it's great to see meditation out there in so many other places. People can have it at their yoga studio. They can have it, you know, there's, there's apps, there's other stuff. Uh, but I do want to highlight, um, and all at the end of the day, all wellness, all meditation is a good thing. It's broadening up. It's meeting people, providing different tools for them at where they're at. But there is something special about Ziva. Uh, I know because our team has done it. And also, obviously, you know, Mark's own endorsement of it, too. I would just like to highlight, um, you know, just give us the couple, you mentioned a little bit earlier, but just give us the couple bullet points about the, the Ziva technique and what you've put together. Because I find that meditation is on two aspects of it. There might be somebody that's going in to do a practice at their local yoga studio, which is beautiful, but that might be more of a mindfulness type of technique. And then there's other people who get intimidated because they hear that a lot of people's first introduction to meditation was a 10-day silent retreat with, you know, two to four hours of meditation each day, which is a great option for some people, but maybe and probably not the option for everyone. So where does Ziva fit in the middle of that spectrum? Yeah, that's well said that it is kind of right in the middle. It's certainly more intense and uh, requires a bit more investment than a free app that you download and maybe do five or six times, which is, you know, I think most people's meditation career, they're like, oh yeah, I downloaded that app. I listened to it a few times, but because there's not too much training or actual education on the skill of meditation with a lot of the apps, people feel frustrated because they can't clear their mind and then they don't feel like they're getting a return on their time invested and then they quit. And then meditation has become just one more thing that they feel guilty about, one more thing on their to-do list that they're not doing um, versus what you said with a 10-day silent Vipassana retreat, which I've done one of and, and it's powerful and amazing, but that's like psychic surgery and not everyone has the time or the desire to go away and do that. What I teach is more like physical therapy. I teach you how to do these exercises on your own. I train people to be self-sufficient, which is actually really important because if you don't have the techniques and the tools and you don't know how to do them on your own, then you're dependent on Wi-Fi and your phone being charged and having the right headphones and, you know, do I, I don't want to listen to that person's voice today. And, and so it's basically Ziva's training you to be able to do your meditation anywhere, anytime. And like I said earlier, it's a trifecta of mindfulness meditation and manifesting. And I started teaching this trifecta because I realized that meditation alone is not enough. For the first few years of my of my career, I was just teaching meditation. But then I started noticing that the world is filled with ex-meditators, people who have tried and then aren't seeing a return on their time investment. And so they quit. And, and what I found is that by teaching this trifecta of, of the three, we use the mindfulness as a runway as an appetizer into the main course that is this deep healing surrender of meditation. And then at the end, we do the manifesting, which is simply consciously creating a life you love. It's utilizing that precious sacred time at the end of your meditation to get very intentional about what you want your life to look like. And what I've found is that the combination of meditation and manifesting is so much more powerful than either one alone. And so when people are utilizing all three of these tools at the same time, it's like their life gets better so quickly. They really see the return on their investment. Their sleep gets better. Their sex gets better. They're accomplishing more at work in less time. 
time. And it, it feels like, okay, for the 15 minutes that I invested for the 2% of my day that I invested in meditation, the other 98% is so much more amazing that I can't imagine not doing it. Mm. So well said. Thank you for that. Uh, we're not shy at all about pitching things that we love. I highly recommend getting the book, Stress Less, Accomplish More. Uh, Emily, tell us all about it. Where can people find it? And you've put together some pretty awesome uh, bonuses, which make pre-ordering the book uh, worth it, even if people didn't make it to the book right away. So talk about it all. Talk about the site and how people can find out more about uh, where to uh, learn more about your book. Yeah. So it's called Stress Less, Accomplish More, and it is available anywhere books are sold. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, and you could also do the Audible version, which I read the audio book, which I know a lot of people enjoy that. And then, like you mentioned, we created some really beautiful bonuses, and these are available, yes, for pre-order. And then there's also inside of the book, there is a link. So you'll see it's like a little golden egg where you'll see some companion uh, bonuses. So uh, the exercises that are, that are at the end of a lot of the chapters. I created some audios and some video versions of those. Um, if you pre-order the book before it's released on February 19th, and you actually get access to days one through three of Ziva Online, which is our beautiful 15-day online training, uh, people get a PDF, uh, which is the day in the life guide of my life. So just my health hacks, all the things I do to optimize my mental and physical health. And people... It, if you opt in, you can actually read the foreword, which was written by Dr. Mark Hyman, and the preface by Andrew Huberman, who is a neuroscientist at Stanford. And so really what I've done in this book, my, my goal in writing it is to take this powerful medicine that is meditation and wrap it in the candy coating of, hey, this is going to help us have better sex, make more money, have better sleep, look younger, improve our immune system. And then at the end of the book, because I teach, I teach a technique in the middle, and then at the end, we pull the lens back. And we say, all right, what's the ripple effect of you improving yourself? How does that improve your relationship? How does that improve your family? How does that improve your coworkers? And then ultimately, we pull the lens all the way out to say, how does you improving yourself help humanity itself? And and I'm really excited to get this out into the world. And like you said, yes, reading the book and also these companion bonuses that people get are, are super valuable. I think it's like $325 worth of bonuses that people can get. So I just am super stoked about people ingesting this and spreading the word far and wide. Emily Fletcher, thank you again for joining us for a second time on the podcast. It was such an honor to have you. Stresslessthebook.com. And where can people find you uh, personally? on the interwebs. So yes, I'm all over the interwebs. It's at Ziva Meditation. And then my personal Instagram, if you'd like to see lots of adorable photos of my baby son, is at Emily Stella Fletcher. Amazing. Thank you again for being here with us and getting us excited about this topic that I know anybody I talked to, nobody I talked to says, I don't want to meditate. Everybody says, all these myths, which we've addressed earlier, I either don't have the time or I wish I knew how, or I've tried once before, but it wasn't the right technique for me. So thank you for getting us excited and giving us the right tools to show us the best way to go about it. It's completely invaluable. So appreciate it. It is my absolute pleasure. Thanks for being so awesome and for having me. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not, I repeat, it's not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional medicine practitioner, you can visit ifm.org and search there, find a provider database. It's important that you have somebody in your corner that's qualified, that's trained, that's a licensed healthcare practitioner helping you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.